we'll go ahead and dismiss the kids at this time to Kids Church. Now, this Sunday, we will begin a four-week series on faith. For those of you who know me, know me that you know that, that this is, is very uncharacteristic of, of me, that I, uh, I typically will preach expositorily through a text. Uh, and so we just finished the book of 1 Samuel, and originally the book of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel were one book in the Old Testament. And whenever, uh, you know, whenever we translated it and uh, divided up the chapters and verses, uh, the powers that be saw fit to divide it into two books. And so that's a reprieve for you guys. You don't have to listen to me preach through Samuel uh, for three years. You get a break. And so, so this, these next four weeks, uh, these next four weeks, we'll be looking at faith. We're going to look today uh, at saving faith. Next week, we'll be looking at growing faith. Uh, the following week, we'll look at enduring or persevering faith. And then finally, we will look at uh, reproducing or multiplying faith. And so we're going to be looking at, at e essentially the, the foundational elements of Christianity, uh, our faith in Christ. Today, we're going to be looking at saving faith. So if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read one verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul writes to the church at Corinth. He says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Let's pray. God, as we look at this word, may you speak to our hearts. May we understand what it is that is saving faith. May we understand the imputation of of Christ's righteousness. May we understand what that means for who we are in Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I pray, it is my prayer that as you leave today, that you will understand, that you will have a, a grasp on what imputation, what the imputation of Christ's righteousness and His finished work of the cross means for you in your everyday life. And for most of us, you hear the word imputation and you've already checked out. You're already thinking, okay, what am I, you know, what's, what, what am I cooking for dinner? What are we having for lunch? But I want us to understand that this idea and this theology, this, this very simple and very, very powerful word of imputation, something that is at the bedrock of Christianity. It is the very foundation of Christianity. It changes everything. And it changes everything because imputation was something that, that began not with Christ, but began with Adam. It began with the imputation of, of original sin upon all of mankind. So what I want us to do is I want us to back up. I want us to back up and we're going to read Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Because this is where imputation has its beginning in romans chapter 5 verse 12 it tells us that therefore just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin so death spread to all men because all have sinned we understand imputation we don't call it imputation have you ever met someone that that 
is a, is a relative or maybe the son of someone that you knew well, and you automatically attributed to that person the, the characteristics or the personality trait of the person you knew? We do this all the time. We do this all the time. I'm, uh, my, this past week, my, uh, my grandfather passed away, and he was 92 years old. He loved the Lord. He went home to be with Jesus. It was, it was, it was a great celebration. But as I'm standing there, as I'm standing there, I'm seeing aunts and uncles that I haven't seen in, in 20 years. And every one of them are coming up and they are attributing to me personality traits, character traits that, that my parents have or, or that my grandparents had because that's who they know. My son, whenever he was, I guess, about seven or eight, they had a, a career day at school and they had to dress up for the career that they wanted to be. Some kids dressed up like doctors, some kids dressed up like football players, some kids dressed up like uh, whatever, whatever they wanted to be. Well, Daniel, Daniel puts on a suit and a tie and, and you know, he combs his hair, slicks his hair back and he goes to school and everybody attributes my characteristics and my personality traits to him. And they say, oh, how cute. You want to be a preacher just like your dad. And he says, I'm not a preacher. He said, I'm a businessman. He said, I don't want to be a preacher. I want to own my own company. I'm going to be a businessman. I'm going to be, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. And at, at seven years old, he understood that that's what he wanted to do. But, but everybody imputed onto him, they attributed to him characteristics and personality traits that belong to me. And they just assume that, that he wants to be a preacher just like his dad. When, the far, when, when they, they couldn't be farther from the truth. He, has, he wants to have nothing to do with preaching. He wants to be a businessman. He loves Jesus. He, he, he's serving on the praise team at a school, but, but he doesn't want to be a preacher. He wants to be a businessman. He wants to be an entrepreneur. And for us, we do this all the time. We see someone, and we automatically attribute to them characteristics and attributes. Well, that happened with Adam. When Adam sinned, when Adam was disobedient to the Lord, Adam sinned and all of the descendants of Adam, all of mankind that would come after Adam would inherit, they would be imputed a sinful nature. And for that reason, for that reason we sin. You don't have to teach a child to lie. You don't have to teach a child to steal. You have to teach them not to lie. You have to teach them not to steal. Their time is coming very, very soon whenever Remy will be crawling around, whenever she will be looking at mom and dad, and when mom and dad say no, she'll look back and she'll say, do they really mean no? Do they really mean that I shouldn't do that? And she's going to do it anyway. How do I know this? Because I have three centers of my own. Because they looked at me and they said, he doesn't really mean no. He means that, that, you know, that maybe he doesn't want me to do that, but it'll probably be okay if I do it. And so they go and they do it anyway. Because we are by nature, we are by nature sinners. We are by nature disobedient. We were imputed that sinful nature from Adam. And so we sin because we are sinners. And we are sinners because we sin. We are impute, imputation began not with Jesus, but it began with Adam. And we must understand that because that is at the very heart, that is at the very heart of our problem. 
of our problem is that we stand before a holy God. We stand before a holy God guilty because we are sinners. Now, I want to talk just a little bit about saving faith. We have this idea, and it's not found in Scripture, but we have this idea that it takes a great deal of faith to be saved. We have this idea that, that, that we must have, have a, a great amount of faith to, save, to, to be saved. And I want to point out to us, church, that it is not the amount of faith that we have, but it is the object of our faith that becomes saving faith. Tim Keller illustrates it like this. He said, if I am falling down a, sliding down a, a, a sheer cliff face to my, to my imminent destruction, at that point, I am reaching out and I am grasping for anything and everything that can possibly save me from the imminent doom that is, that is sure to come. And I grab a hold to a plant that's growing out of this rock face. Do I have to know a whole lot about the plant and its root structure to grab a hold and hold on with all that I've got? No. Do I have to believe anything about the root structure of that plant to hold on with everything that I've got? No. I'm holding on because it's the only thing that I can do. Because I am plummeting to my imminent death and my imminent destruction. And we must understand that if we rightly understand, if we rightly understand sin, we rightly understand the imputation of original sin, that we are born into sin and there's nothing that we can do about it. And that we one day will stand before a holy just God because God's character does not change. God is just, righteous, and holy. And his word tells us that he must punish sin because that is his nature. He is a holy God. And so we understand that we are sinners, that we lie, we cheat, we steal because that's who we are at the very nature, at, at the very essence of who we are is because we're sinners. And we're going to stand before that holy, righteous judge. And because we stand before that holy, righteous judge, that God would be righteous and just in condemning us to an eternity in a Christless hell. And we are heading down imminent, down a road of imminent destruction, and we do not have the power to save ourselves. And so we're grasping for anything and everything to keep us from that imminent destruction. Enter Jesus. Enter Christ. I want to point out very, very quickly that, that God's character is immutable. And this is something that, that, that we need to, to talk very, very briefly about as we talk about this imputation because we're going to get to uh, the imputation of Christ's righteousness in just a few moments. The character of God is immutable. That means that it is changeless. That God's character does not change over time. Our character, our decisions, our reputation, who we are changes because we're people. Our convictions change. Our ideas change. Sometimes, sometimes we we begin thinking one way and then, and then through the grace of God we are revealed truth and all of a sudden we are able to, to, to realize that, okay, the way that I was thinking was wrong and I need to change the way that I'm thinking. The word metaneo, the word repent in the Bible, literally means that, that we need to change the way we think. 
And so it is possible for human beings to understand by the revelation of the Holy Spirit that the way that I was thinking one day is wrong and I need to change the way that I'm thinking. But God is not like us. God does not change. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't change his character. God is immutable. It says in 11, uh, Leviticus chapter 11, verse 45. God says, For I, the Lord, I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy, for I am holy. So if we understand in Malachi chapter 4 tells us that, that God does not change. He said, For I, the Lord, I do not change. And so we understand that God doesn't change. And he said, I am holy, therefore you must be holy. So there is the righteous requirement that God requires of us. Now, if we understand that God is holy and God is righteous and God doesn't change, how many of us have met God's requirement of holiness? None of us. Not a single one of us. Because we are sinners. We, we, we inherited Adam's sin. We inherited Adam's disobedience. And so therein lies our problem. When Christ entered this world, this is, this is a huge aspect of the gospel. When Christ entered this world, he did not enter through the seed of man. He did not inherit imputed sin. He did not inherit sinful nature. And so Christ comes into the world apart from sinful nature. And he righteously fulfills all the requirements of God's law. Remember God's requirement. Be ye holy. Why? I am holy. I do not change. Matthew chapter 5 verse 17 says this. Matthew chapter 5 says, Do not think this is Jesus. He says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law. The law was what God had set up. Be ye holy for I am holy. Where was it written? In the book of Leviticus. Leviticus is the Levitical law. Do not think that I came to abolish the law. Don't think that I came to do away with the law, but I came to fulfill the law. Jesus said, I didn't come to get rid of the law. I came to fulfill the law. And so we've heard the statement that we are not saved by works. Has anybody ever heard that? Anybody ever heard a preacher say you're not saved by works? I'm going to blow your mind here for just a few moments. And I want you to stay with me before you call me a heretic. We are saved by works. Absolutely, 100% saved by works. The difference is it's not our works. It's the works of Jesus. Jesus rightly fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law for us. God's requirement doesn't change. God didn't say, well, you know what? At one point, I wanted everyone to be perfect and holy and righteous, but you know, after generation and generation and generation of that not happening, I'm going to lower my standards. Because, because clearly you guys can't live up to that, right? So if I lower my standards, then maybe some of you can come to heaven with me. Maybe some of you can, can live up to that lower standard. That is not the character of God. He is immutable. He is unchanging. He does not change. He has not lowered his standard of holiness. And so when we understand that Jesus came to righteously fulfill all the requirements of the law, this is where this this theology of imputation comes into play. When Christ entered the world, he righteously fulfilled 
all of the requirements of God's law. At conversion, let's go back to our original text. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul is talking to the church. And he says, begins in verse 17, and he says, therefore. And anytime we read the scriptures and it says, therefore, what should we do? <clears throat> we should ask the question, why is it therefore? And so let's look immediately before chapter, seven, uh, chapter 5, verse 17, and let's look at verse 15. Because Paul writes just a few verses up above. He says, he, he being Jesus, he died for all that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. Jesus' death changed everything. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection changed everything. When we, by faith, trust in what Jesus has done for us, the imputation that we receive, the imputation of sin that we received with Adam, we are now imputed the righteousness of Jesus. And He is imputed our sin. Imputation is a powerful, powerful thing. Most of us Most of us have an understanding of the gospel, at least to some degree. But I believe that many of us live in a constant battle between shame and guilt and frustration because of our own failures, our own sin, our own immorality, our own humanity. And I believe that the enemy, that Satan is robbing us of the joy that God desires us to have in Christ because we fail to understand imputation. <clears throat> a few years ago, there was a, a cornerback by the name of Richard Sherman who mouthed off after a Super Bowl victory talking about how great he was. And everybody instantly hated this cornerback for the Seattle Seahawks. But you know something I've figured out about athletes? Every one of them are arrogant. <laughs> You've got to be. In order to be the best, in order to be the best football player, baseball player, basketball player, in order to, to achieve success at that level there has to be a level of arrogance you have to believe that i am better than everybody else out there on that court or on that field if you don't then you won't be able to achieve the the, the highest level of success we will achieve what we believe about ourselves something that i learned raising children and and i'm still learning is that what we speak into our children is what they will ultimately believe. Whenever my youngest, Nicholas, uh, was growing up and whenever he was very, very small, uh, my, my, my father-in-law, his grandfather, had a nickname for him. He called him Superbad because Nick was Superbad. 
He was into everything. He was, he was wide open all the time. Anytime Nick was going somewhere, it was like his hair was on fire. And, and he is, he, he, he's still like that today in, in, a, large, uh, in a large sense that, that, that Nicholas is wide open all the time. But Natalie and I began to understand that, you know, if we continue to tell this kid he's bad, he's going to believe that he's bad. And that is going to affect who he believes about himself, and that is going to impact his behavior. And so we are not going, we, 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 at a very early age, we stopped calling him super bad. It was funny. It was cute. It was, it was, it, it made for a great conversation starter, but, but I did not want my child to believe himself to be bad. And so we began telling him that you are, you're a good kid and that, that, you are full of energy and you're crazy and, and it's fun and we want to speak into him characteristics and attributes that we want him to emulate. We do that with, with all of our children. We tell Anna that she, is, that she is beautiful on the inside and out and we tell Daniel that he is, he is wise and mature because we want them to emulate the characteristics that we speak to them about. 